ask that you open your Bibles tonight to Psalm 123. Psalm 123 as we continue through the Psalms of Ascent. We begin our fourth one tonight. Psalm 123. It's good to see each and every one of you here in the house of the Lord. Tonight, this midweek service, Psalm 123, and before we read the Word of God, let's do go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you tonight praising you and giving you thanks, thanking you for your mercy that you show us each and every day, and most of all for the mercy and grace that has been shown to us at the cross by our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I ask for your, to bless the reading of your word at this time, Lord, and help me, your unworthy servant, as I proclaim tonight. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Psalm 123, we read, beginning in verse 1, Unto thee lift I up mine eyes, O thou that dwellest in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look unto the hand of their masters, and as the eyes of a maiden unto the hand of her mistress, so our eyes wait upon the Lord our God, until that he have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us, for we are exceedingly filled with contempt. Our soul is exceedingly filled with the scorning of those that are at ease and with the contempt of the proud. What is mercy? We hear the term mercy used a lot. Well, the word mercy that we see here in Psalm 123 in Strong's lexicon, uh, Old, Old Testament Hebrew lexicon, it means to show favor or pity to. As generally used in the New Testament, Strong's New Testament lexicon says to help one afflicted or seeking aid. And Gruden's systematic theology defines mercy this way. God's goodness toward those in misery and distress Mercy is often emphasized where people are in misery and distress. Now, the term mercy, showing God showing favor to someone basically in misery or distress, is not necessarily a prayer for forgiveness. It could be, you know, Lord, I'm broke down on the side of the road. Have mercy on me. Or you're in the hospital room and you say, Lord, have mercy upon me at this time. It's very broad. Or it can be like King David prayed in Psalm 51 where he prayed for mercy because of sin. But it's very broad. And you'll see that tonight here in Psalm 123. And I want to entitle this message, A Meditation on Divine Mercy. As the psalmist needed God's mercy so we also need the Lord's mercy in this life. We need it each and every day. To not believe we don't need God's mercy is to show a reliance upon oneself, and that's always bad. 
because we will fail. Other people will fail us, but the Lord will not. And he begins this psalm in verse 1 by looking to heaven for mercy. Unto thee I lift up mine eyes, O thou that dwellest in the heavens. Now, David Guzit wrote that we see a prog progression here in the Psalms of Ascent in his commentary. And remember, the Psalms of Ascent are Psalm 120 to 134, and they were used by the, by the Jewish pilgrims as they would travel to Jerusalem, to the temple, uh, to pray as they w went there. And he says we see a progression here in these four chapters. And I like what he pointed out. In Psalm 120, we see a lament of our surroundings. If you, we, We've already looked at Psalm 120, but it's a very kind of dark psalm. I mean, he's lamenting so much evil around me. Then Psalm 121, what did he say? I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills. He lifted his eyes to the hills of Zion where Jerusalem were, was, where the temple was, where the, where the uh, Ark of the Covenant was. And then in Psalm 122, makes note that here he delighted in the house of the Lord. In David's case, this would have been the tabernacle. And of course, that broadly just refers to both the, the temple and the tabernacle. But Psalm 123 changes this and he doesn't look to the hills or to, the, to even to the temple. He says, I look directly to heaven itself. It's a progression there we see. In Psalm 123, he's looking straight to heaven for mercy. For the psalmist here, we don't know who wrote Psalm 123, he knew that earthly help falls short. It does. Now, we like people to help us, and we should help one another. And I've been helped by a lot of people. But there's times in our life where man can't help you. And man's going to fail. He can't help you. I mean, uh, it's not that they won't try to help you. They just can't help you. There's certain situations that only God can help us in. And he knew that. And he looked to heaven itself. In Psalm 115, in Psalm 115, the psalmist here stated, Not unto us, O Lord, beginning in verse 1, Not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is now their God? In other words, they're saying, Where is your God at? And he states, But our God is in the heavens. He's in heaven. He's in the heavens. He do, hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. In other words, he's completely sovereign over all things. And then in verse 4, their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feed have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. They that make them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusteth in them. He compares 
these false gods to the God in heaven that the psalmist in one Psalm in Psalm one twenty three looks to, and that he is looking to the psalmist in one fifteen. Their idols are just silver and gold because it's been common in in their day and time for men to make idols, wooden idols, stone idols that they would bow down to. But he says they can't speak. It's just your. It's just. These are idols. These are gods of your own creation. You say, haven't we progressed more than that? We may not be building wooden statues to bow down to or stone statues, but folks, we are making in our day and time idols of our own making that we worship. Uh, look, how many times you hear people say, look, I believe in a God who doesn't judge me but accepts me just as I am. Hey, they just made a, they made a God in their own image that ex wants to accept their sins, not going to judge them, they're going to be okay and go to heaven by their own standards, but not by God's standards. They've made a God in their own image. I had a discussion, uh, it's probably been, I don't know, maybe a couple years ago or so with a friend. I don't know when it was, but... It may have been shorter than that, but but he basically said, look, my God, this is the God that I believe in. You know, he's all mercy and he, he does this. Uh, and I just told him as politely as I could, well, you're making a God, that's your God that you're creating. The God that I worship is not one of my own creation. I believe in the God of the Bible. And the God of the Bible has a testimony of, of, hey, thousands of years going back to the Old Testament saints. I'm worshiping the God of Abraham, the God of Moses, the God of David. They testify about him as well as the Old Testament saints. The apostles testify about him. The, all the New Testament saints did. And even after the New Testament, the church fathers, church history testifies who our God is. And it's consistent witness. It's not a God of our own making. It's based upon the Word of God. Uh, J. McMath quoted uh, Goodsword, who has three, three basic biblical rules. Number one, every person is serving gods in his life. Number two, every person is transformed into the image of his God. And mankind creates and forms a structure of society in its own image. Isn't that true today? Every person serving some sort of God. It may be themselves. And I believe self-idolatry is most common today. I believe it is. I believe it's the most common. People worship their self. They don't realize it, but we are religious cre creations. I mean, even the atheist. It's amazing you, you ever get online and you see these atheists, all they do is talk about God all the time. Someone they don't even believe in. They've created their own religion. Fighting with a God they say they don't believe. But we look to the one true God, the psalmist states. Uh, going back to Psalm 123, the one who dwells in heaven. And that's important. He dwelleth in heavens because how did Jesus teach us to pray? What was the first thing he told us? How are we to pray? Uh, our Father who art in heaven. That's the third heaven. 
where in heaven where he reigns and rules. And yet he looks down upon us sinners here on this sin-infested world with his mercy. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible is Isaiah chapter 6. Where we get a where Isaiah got a glimpse of heaven and we get a glimpse glimpse of heaven. In Isaiah chapter six and verse one. Isaiah wrote, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. In the year that this king died, I saw the Lord. You, you know, when a, a leader like this dies, it can cause great turmoil in a nation. But here's the thing about it. Earthly kings and presidents come and go. Whoever's elected next year, within four to eight years, he's going to be gone. Doesn't matter. You know, we're always looking for a savior. You know, this one's going to come and he's going to make everything right. Never does. Because earthly leaders are flawed. But here Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. He's on his throne. And then notice verse 2. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. And with twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. And one cried in another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of Him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me. Having a live coal in his hand. Which he had taken from the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips. And thy iniquity is taken away and thy sin Purged. When you get a glimpse of the throne of God, when you get a glimpse of God, and which Isaiah did, and we see it through Scripture here from the written Word, it makes us aware of our own sinfulness and also makes our own problems and everything that's going on in this earth seem mighty small, doesn't it? When we see the glory of God. And yet, it is to this throne where the angels cry out continuously, holy, holy, holy. God's greatest attribute is His holiness. Completely pure. No sin. And yet, this holy God is one who dispenses mercy to us sinners. Revelation 4, which I believe is a a great companion text to this in Isaiah 6, because it's very similar, John's vision that he saw of heaven, and I'm going to start in verse 2 of Revelation 4, where, where John 
stated, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. He that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight, like unto an emerald. And around about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass, like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around about the throne were four beasts, full of eyes, before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf. And the third beast had a face as a man, and the, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about them, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. That's a lot to unpack right there in Revelation 4. You can... But it's so beautiful, it and Isaiah 6, where we get a glimpse of heaven. We get a glimpse of the throne of God, of the angels and this host of heaven worshiping God. And guess what, folks? This is where our prayers go to, to the very throne of God. And when we look at our problems and look at the throne of God, they're pretty small in comparison. He is the one who is completely sovereign over all things. Notice how they concluded verse 11, for thou hast created all things. He's the creator. And for thy pleasure they are and were created. Our help is found there, my friends, at the throne of God. Now going back to Psalm 123 again, uh, it is to this heaven, it is to the throne of God that he looks for help. As he, and, and then he says in verse 2, you know, like the eyes of a servants, behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hands of their masters, as the eyes of a maiden to the hand of our mistress, so we look to you, Lord, he's saying. Our eyes wait upon the Lord. The psalmist is comparing himself to a servant looking to the master like a slave girl watching her mistress humbly. He's not demanding mercy like a servant. He's humbly looking to God for mercy. This is a common theme, by the way, you often find in 
the Psalms, and in the New Testament even. And I could, look, if I was used all the cross references, we'd be here a good long time. But I wanted to look at a few uh, cases, and, and you can follow me or you can listen because I'm not going to stay there long. But in Psalm 6, Psalm 6 and verse 2, in Psalm 6 and verse 2, what did uh, David say? Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are vexed. Here David cries out for mercy. O Lord, have mercy upon me. I'm weak, Lord. My bones are vexed. I need your help. In Psalm 13, in verse 5, again we read another psalm of David. He says, But I've trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. That's good wisdom for all of us to trust in God's mercy. There's times when I lose trust. I've been reading in, in Genesis about Abraham and Sarah. And man, Abraham, his faith would be so strong. And then the next thing you know, he's lying, you know, about his wife being his, you know, he's telling a half lie, but it's still a lie. And you think, man, he's, I mean, he's so strong here and then it falters. But that's like us. We're like that. Sarah also. We, but here the psalmist David says, I've trusted in thy mercy. I'm going to trust in your mercy, Lord, in this situation. In Psalm 31 and verse 9, David again says, Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. Mine eye is consumed with grief, yea, my soul and my belly. David was facing trouble. What are we to do when we're in trouble? Cry out for mercy from the Lord. Yes, some other people can help you, but look to the Lord for mercy, for His favor. And one New Testament reference, and I'm not going there, but it's so common, but you know this, the parable of, of the Pharisee and the tax collector where the Pharisee, you know, he prayed, oh, look, God, I'm this and that. And the psalm and the publican or tax collectors just said god have mercy upon me sinner and i have and i tell you what folks god will hear that prayer it's a simple prayer you know an old christian prayer or hymn it goes back gosh probably almost two thousand years is a they called the kyrieleison prayer it's just simply a greek word it means lord have mercy Lord, have mercy. We need His mercy. We need God's mercy every day in everything we do, where it be sleeping before we go to bed at night. You know, you ever think that uh, when you go to bed at night, you may not wake up. You may not. Pray for God's mercy to be with you through the night. When you're out driving, when you're at work, It'd be good to say, Lord, have mercy upon me. Lord, help me today. To pray for God's mercy and all that you go through shows a complete dependence upon Him. And know that He's not like man who will, you know, you know, we often got this idea that when we sin, that God's there shaking His finger at us and that He's going to, you know, demands, you know, that, well, you know, that, oh, I can't pray to Him now. No. 
pray for mercy. Have mercy upon me, O Lord. God is full of mercy, my friends. He is holy, yet He's full of mercy. And of course, the greatest show of mercy ever shown was upon the cross. There's mercy, folks. There's grace. And never forget that. That we, while God is holy, and we sing, holy, 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 He is full of mercy. Going back to Psalm 123, you know, he, he cried out for mercy. Verses 3 and 4 continuing. You know, we're exceedingly filled with contempt, he states in verse 3. We're filled with the scorning of those that are eased, with the contempt of the proud. There's so many, he's stating here, that are just mocking me. They're, they're scorning me. We don't know the situation. Some believe this psalm may have been written during the Babylonian exile, and he's talking about the Babylonians. But we really don't know. That, that's just pure guessing. But it can be applied to so many situations, folks. We, we as Christians face scorning for what we believe in each and every day. Uh, we will be made to feel like that we're odd, that that our, that we're strange by this world. And they'll attack us. They'll ridicule you. They, they think it's strange that we're meeting here in midweek in a church service. But we, Lord, but we should cry out, Lord, have mercy. Help me not to not to give in to the temptations, to get angry. And look, it could be also just as a Christian living in this ungodly world where you're, where you're mocked and you want to just let them have it. You ever been there? That temper? And then we heard a Christian testimony. Uh, people will ridicule your face, faith. They will ridicule you as a person. But we're to cry out, Lord, have mercy. Not to give in to the flesh. You know, how do we handle it? We cry out for mercy. We pray for God's mercy that we can endure uh, the ridicule. And if you ever read, of, uh, I think it's, it used to be called Open Doors USA. They got a new name and there's Voice of the Martyrs, these organizations. And you read about online about what some of these Christians in China and North Korea and Saudi Arabia, Iran, Iraq are going through. It's unimaginable. And yet many of them, they don't falter in their faith. It's easy to give in to the flesh. We need to ask for God's mercy that we don't give in to the flesh. To lose our temper and become like the ungodly. And uh, you know, when we concluding here in Psalm 123... You know, when the world batters us down, temptations will come in like a flood, my friends. Depression can come upon you. can overwhelm us. What are we to do? We're to look to the heavens, not to this earth. Uh, to look to heaven. Look, this is a short little psalm that you could pray every day. It'd be good to pray every day, Psalm 123, for every situation that you're going through to look to God in heaven, to cry for His mercy. This morning I was uh, reading this little uh, this prayer of Thomas Cramner. Thomas Cramner, if you're not familiar with, was a uh, one of the leaders in the Protestant 
English Reformation, died as a martyr, burned at the stake. Uh, but he, he wrote some beautiful prayers, the Book of Common Prayer he wrote in 1549. And there was a prayer I was reading as well as the scriptures that were attached to it this morning. And I just wanted to read this little, it's a short prayer, but it's so full of, uh, it's so powerful. And the prayer is this, it says, O God, for as much without Thee we're not able to please Thee, grant that the working of Thy mercy may in all things direct and rule our hearts through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I meditated on that. I said, now that's his, you know, when you read it, O God, for without Thee we're not able to please Thee. It's circular. <laughs> God, without Thee, we're not able to please Thee. Why? Because we need the righteousness of Christ. We need God. And without you, we're not able to please thee. But grant that the working of your mercy that you give us may direct and rule our hearts. In other words, don't take God's mercy lightly, but it should lead us to obedience is what he's saying. Knowing that we have received such mercy and grace and that we can call upon the God of mercy here as the psalmist does in 120, Psalm 123 should cause us to be obedient and love our Lord more deeply. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for the mercy that we have received. And, Lord, we don't deserve the mercy given to us, the grace that has been given us through our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, we don't deserve it, Lord. And I look at my own sins, my own shortcomings, Lord, and how I fail you. And yet, Lord, you are holy, and yet you show mercy and grace to us sinners. It is truly amazing grace. Thank you, Lord. And help us to share this amazing grace and this mercy to those around us we know about the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ and His salvation. And Lord, may we leave here tonight to be witnesses of Your great mercy. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.